contractor's journey to self-mastery requires discipline, integrity, and respect. Welcome to Hammer and Grind. And welcome to the Hammer and Grind podcast, the podcast built for contractors to help maximize profits and get you off the tools before burnout or bankruptcy happens. I'm your host, Brad Hebner, and I'm here to help you on your journey to self-mastery. Make sure you check us out on our social media platforms, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Just search for Hammer and Grind Podcast, and you'll be able to find me there. Consider joining my free Facebook group called the Contractor Profit Blueprint. I created this free group to give you as much information as possible to help you in your business. I go live in there once a week, tons of content to help you in your business. Now, if you want to accelerate the success, consider joining my paid coaching group called The Profit Club. In there is a great community of contractors all willing to share information and help each other succeed, as well as hundreds of hours of training, coaching calls, everything you need to accelerate your business. If you want to learn more about that, You can find out more information on hammerandgrind.com forward slash the profit club, or just send me a message and I'll be happy to share that with you. Now, let's get on to the show. All right, welcome back to the Hammer Grind podcast. I'm your host, Brad. Listen, today we're going to be talking about something fun, exciting. Well, maybe not exciting, but it's going to be enlightening. I hope it's going to be enlightening. Today, we're talking about why your perception is not reality. And we've been having a lot of conversations about this in the Profit Club with a lot of my clients. I have several clients that are considering rebranding their business because they realized that when they named it after their last name, it just wasn't the best option. And you've heard me say this before. You should never use your name and your business name unless you have a very, very unique and specific name that ties right into what you do. It's just my belief. Right now, does that mean you can't have a successful business if your name is in your? No, it doesn't mean that at all. I'm just telling you from there's easy ways and there's hard ways, but both ways can get the same result. So, would you rather do something the hard way or the easy way? That's what we're talking about here, right? You can get to the same result, but if I used my last name, Hebner, which can never be pronounced correctly, if you've ever seen my name, it's H U E B N E R, looks like Hubner pronounced Hebner, no one can ever pronounce it. It doesn't bother me. I get pronounced every time we go out to dinner or we go anywhere, it's always pronounced wrong. A lot of times when we go out to dinner, I actually tell them it's spelled H-E-B-N-E-R, leave out the U, and they usually say Hebner, get it right. Right? So (laughs) it's just a reality. Like, can I have a successful business if I named it Hebner Construction? Yes, I can. Is it going to be more difficult? Yes, it will be compared to something else that may be more in line with what I do. So we're not talking about naming today, per se. We're talking about perception, how this factors into everything we do in our business. So back to the conversations that we're having in the Profit Club. I got, I got one client who wants to rename. I have another client who he's not really renaming, but he wants to redesign his logo. And he's experimenting with some things like, some different scripts and typefaces, you know, for the logo. He's doing a lot of himself. A lot of the guys are doing it themselves. I have the same one that's that's renaming his wants to rename his business is doing some vehicle wrap designs. 
And the vehicle wrap design came before the renaming of the business. I had a conversation with them last week on one of our accountability calls that we have. And I said, well, you know, he said, I'm thinking about changing the name of the business. And I said, well, if you're going to do that, you need to change the name of your business before you rebrand everything, like before you put wraps on your vehicle. Because I was asking him, like, how soon do you think you're going to do this? He said, probably within the next year, I'm going to change the name. So I said, dude, if you're going to do it within the next year, you need to go ahead and do it now before you spend thousands and tens of $20,000 rewrapping all of your vehicles. Like rebrand now, then go forward and not have to mess with it. He was thinking like, I'm going to do wraps now with my existing name. And then in you know two or three years, maybe like change the name and then redo everything. And it just doesn't make sense. Now, if you're thinking like two or three years down the road, you're going to rebrand, then I would say, go ahead and do your, you know, do your wraps now. And then whenever you want to rebrand, it's going to cost you more, but hopefully down the road, you're going to be more profitable. So where we're at on this is that a lot of the guys, even in the profit club, a lot of my clients and a lot of contractors try to do this stuff themselves, right? You're a contractor who knows how to do your, you're a technician, right? You know how to do your job. You know how to do plumbing or electrical or build houses or remodeling or tile or whatever it is that you do. And somehow that makes you an expert in how specific typefaces of text that you use in your ads and logo is going to be the best, right? Like I was saying, one of my clients and I'm not picking on any of these guys. They know that I, I'm, I'm a, shoot, a straight shooter with them. I don't hold back. It has no benefit to anybody for me to blow smoke up your butt ever. And by the way, totally off topic, if you're looking for someone who's going to make you feel good about your business, if you're, gonna, if you're looking for a coach or a mentor who's going to make you feel good about your decisions in your business, they are not a good coach. They are not a good mentor. Coaches and mentors are not designed to make you feel good about yourself and your decisions. They are there to point out what you're doing wrong and to challenge your perspectives on what you think, to challenge your mindset, to make you better. See, a lot of guys will post things in my group going back, and I know he won't mind me saying this, but he posted the picture of his vehicle wrap that he had designed. And I straight up told him, I said, dude, this looks like shit. I mean, it just looks like it's terrible. Like, there's no way I would even put this on a vehicle. It looks so bad. Right? Now, how would I say, oh, yeah, man, that looks, that looks really good. Yeah, you should definitely do that. Because I don't want to hurt his feelings. Right? I don't want to make him feel bad about themselves. Right? If that's you... If you're looking for that type of feedback and, you know, make you feel good about yourself type of environment, don't, don't join the profit club. Don't do that. Maybe don't, maybe don't join any of my coaching programs because I don't do this to make you feel good about yourself. I do this so that you can be the best version of yourself in the quickest amount of time to receive the maximum benefits of the coaching. That's my goal. Now, when you do that, when I challenge your beliefs and you make a change, and because of that change, 
more benefit comes to you. You make more money. You get more free time. You have a better business that runs without you. You actually start enjoying what you do. Do you think the side effect of that is that you actually feel better about yourself? The answer is yes. So long-term, when someone is direct with you, when someone is giving you real, honest feedback that's not biased, that's not trying to save your feelings, you will feel like crap in that moment, but you will feel 10 times better in the future. Whereas if I make you feel good about yourself now, and in a day or two or two weeks, you're still going to go back to feeling like crap because you're not seeing results, right? So keep that in mind. And by the way, I don't mean like, you know, telling you you're a piece of crap human being. I'm not talking about that. I don't mean like talking down to people. I mean, just giving you honest feedback. That's what I'm talking about. So whenever you have a perception of, you know, what you're doing in your business, like trying to create your own vehicle wraps and trying to create your own logo. I tell my guys all the time, quit wasting your time doing low value tasks that you're not an expert at because you want to save a little bit of money, right? We had a marketing call yesterday. I brought in an expert. He's somebody that we're working with that I have been behind the scenes developing a, a marketing program specific for the my clients in the Profit Club because I know what kind of what kind of needs they have in their business. And so for the last several weeks, I've been working with this this company, and we'll probably have him on the podcast soon. But I've been working with him to really develop a specialty built advertising, marketing, all that stuff program that's going to fit the exact needs of the majority of my clients. And so we were talking about that yesterday and he came into our our weekly marketing call that we have and he led that call, talked about how to do Facebook ads, Google ads, you know, some of the basic stuff that you need to do. And really at the end of that call, most of the clients, most of the people in the profit club, the contractors were like, yeah, I just need to hire someone. I need to hire an expert instead of just throwing darts in the dark. That was a term that he used. Stop throwing darts in the dark. And that's what most of you are doing when it comes to any task in your business that is not directly related to your skill, to to the actual trade. So you guys know how to do your, your trade, right? You know how to do your craft, okay? But anything else that you try to do in your business, bookkeeping, advertising, marketing, branding, design, you know, what else? I'm trying to think of all the other things that you know we try to do on our own. It, it's just, it doesn't make sense. We're not experts at it. Like business development, right? Structure of our business, how to hire, all that stuff. I have another person that I'm working with behind the scenes who is an HR specialist. I'm working with her to develop curriculum for human resource resources like templates and things so that whenever you need to hire someone or whenever you need to develop like an employee handbook or onboarding things that you need when you start hiring, I'm working with a specialist who I work, who I used in my business 
to come in and start developing out that curriculum inside the Profit Club. Why? Because she's an expert. She's an expert at human resources. But for some reason, you want to save five hundred or a thousand or two thousand dollars because you don't want to spend that money because you think for whatever reason, even though you've never been officially trained in human resources, you're going to be able to provide the best solution in your business for human resources. Guys, hear me loud on this, guys and gals. By the way, guys is universal. I would say it's non-binary, but not in the sense that you think I'm saying. <laughs> non-binary meaning it applies to everything. So this is, this is a unisex term, guys. It's a Midwest term. So just so you know, going forward, if I say guys, I mean guys and girls, right? I'm not trying to isolate women in the trades. So guys, stop trying to save money because you don't want us to, to hire an expert. Any expert you hire, whether it's an attorney, an accountant, an insurance person, whatever, HR person, marketing person, salesperson, anybody worth hiring is going to be expensive and they're going to be worth every penny that you spend. Because a lot of you guys are trying to save, you know, you're trying to save $5. Instead, you're actually costing you $20 in the long run. Someone comes to you and says, I can do that for 20 bucks. You say, that's crazy. I can do it for five. You do it for five on your own. Six months later, two years later, you get sued. You get audited by the IRS. There's a compliance issue. You know, OSHA shows up, whatever it is. And now you get fined. You find yourself in trouble. Now that $5 that you spent, you save 15, is now going to cost you 20, right? So you lose in the long run. We got way off topic. It happens sometimes. I get on these little tangents. But it's super important that you understand that you're not an expert at these things. So quit trying to do it yourself. If you can't afford, if someone's like, if you're like, hey, I need to hire a, a marketing person and they're $1,000 a month or $2,000 a month, I can't afford that right now. Then you need to be raising your prices and be more profitable. You need to make sure that you're getting a 50% gross profit so you can afford these things. That's one of the benefits of charging correctly in your business is that it gives you capital. It gives you money to reinvest in your business by hiring experts, right? It's a cycle. You hire an expert marketer, they bring in more leads, you sell more jobs, you hire more people, you produce more work, you make more money, you hire new salesmen, so on and so on. It doesn't work where you're the cheapest contractor in the marketplace and you never make enough money to be able to afford to pay for anybody. And so you do everything yourself. You do the bookkeeping yourself. You do the marketing yourself. You come up with your own names and all that stuff. And all it does is stunt your business growth. So what you could have potentially done in two or three years, it's going to take you five to seven years. But you think you're saving money. You're not. You're not. Okay, now we're ready to start the podcast. <laughs> guys, perception is not a reality. One of the things that I have my guys do in, the, in regards to sales is record all of their calls. 
I tell them right off the bat, you need to start recording every one of your sales calls. Record your role plays because we do role plays inside the, the Profit Club and also the Sales Accelerator program that I have. We do role plays in there and you should record every single one of them and then go back and listen to them. I promise you, like I'll, I will bet you money on this. This is, on, this is officially on record. I bet you $10, okay? Because I, you know, I, can't, I can't bet too much because if a thousand of you can't try to claim your money, I'm going to be broke. But I bet you $10 that if you record your sales call with your clients and then you go back and listen to it, it will sound totally different than what you think you sounded like when you were actually on the phone. Every single time I have my clients do this, they say, yeah, it's not how I sounded. When I said this one thing, my intent was this, but it came across this way. Right? I thought I was being really excited on the phone. I go back and listen to it, and it sounds like I was sleeping, like I just woke up. I, I promise you, if you do this, it will open up your eyes to the fact that you do not sound like you think you sound. And for those of you that are all about puking all over the customers about how great you are, when you go back and listen to yourself, you will think, man, I sound really arrogant. Or I sound really stupid saying all that stuff. I promise you. I bet you $10. And if you do that and it sounds just exactly like you think, hit me up. I'll give you your 10 bucks. Of course, it'd be in a form of a credit towards one of my coaching programs. But I'll still give you $10. I'm not worried about it because I already know the answer. Because every single client that goes through this has, says the exact same thing. I did the exact same thing when I started recording and learning, you know, getting official sales training and going through that and bettering myself. I, I learned the exact same thing. I was like, holy crap, that is not what I thought I sounded like. That guy on the phone sounded like somebody who was a dick who, did, who wasn't interested in your, in your project. But me, I was really interested in it. So that's number one is you don't sound the way you think you sound. Right. So your perception of what you sound like is not real. So record your pod, record your role plays. You can record your podcast too if you want. If you're going to do a podcast, I would highly recommend recording it. Okay. Number two, naming your business. If you are just starting or you're going to, you want to rebrand because you say, Hey, you're right. I shouldn't use my last name. Don't be cute. Guys, don't try to be cute with what you are using. There's all kinds of research that, are, that have been done on how to name businesses and different things. And I've talked extensively about this. I'm not going to go too deep into it now, but short, short words, one or two words, two to three syllable words are better, right? Some of you are like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of some names without pissing people off, but some of you are like tri-state. Tri-State's best remodeling company. That's a dumb name. One, they'll never remember it. Two, your website's going to be so long, they won't even be able to type it out. They'll literally get frustrated typing out the name and then quit in the middle of it. Three, every time someone writes you a check, they have to write it out. And then what do you end up doing? You end up abbreviating it. Oh, just do T-S-B-C-C. Yeah, just put in there T-S-B-C-C-D-F-G-Q-R-T. It's stupid. It's stupid. <laughs> Quit trying to be cute with how you name your business. Quit trying to be cute with how you name products or services that you sell. 
Some of you understand the value of creating like a package deal or creating some type of product offering. You know, maybe you do like maybe you're a landscaper and you're a landscaper and you do pond cleanouts, or maybe you do ponds and you do maintenance. You know, you do some type of maintenance plan. And so instead of just calling it like our annual maintenance plan, you try to come up with some clever name, and it's like the lilies, lilies and frogs plan, or something like that. Because you're like, oh, you know, ponds they have frogs and lily pads, and it all makes sense. Hold on, hold on. They have ponds and frogs and lily pads, and it all makes sense. So I'm going to be lilies and frogs. Hopefully that came through because last time it didn't come through very good. My voice changer there. Don't do that, guys. You don't need to have this cleverness. Cleverness never works in marketing. I've been spending a lot of time this year researching copywriting, advertising, marketing. And I'm going to read from this book here in a second, but I've been reading a book lately on copywriting for advertisers. Like this is basically if you're in the advertising space, if you're a copywriter or a marketer, these are things you would need to know to promote the services, you know, online or in print or whatever. And it's going to it's going to open your eyes when I read this here in a second. But don't be cute with your stuff. Understand that people they just want to have results. They don't really give a crap about the name. So if you're naming your business or naming your services something really cute, it's going to be lost. You got to get creative. Don't be cute. Okay? The next thing in that is, and, and this may hurt. He might get mad at me for saying this. I hope not. I'm not going to say his name, but he'll know if he hears this. One of my clients is rebranding his name, and he's using a script. Because he wants to do, he's trying to promote, I get it. He's trying to promote elegance. He's trying to promote, he does natural, you know, natural landscaping, like hardscapes and stuff. And he's trying to promote this image of like nature and high-end luxury, right? Which is a good thing to do. It's good to want to have a logo or script or branding that promotes a certain type of feeling and emotion, right? But don't be cute and don't use scripts. He used a script. A script is cursive. If you don't know what script is, it means it's like cursive. It's like fancy. I'm going to read a couple pages from this book here, so bear with me, but it's going to be valuable once I read this. So this is, and I'll tell you, this is from the book called Castvertising, How to Use More Than 100 Secrets of Ad Agency Psychology to Make Big Money Selling Anything to Anyone by Drew Eric Whitman. This is, and even the name of this book is, is good advertising. How to Use More Than 100 Secrets to, of an Ad Agency Psychology to Make Big Money Selling Anything to Anyone. Who wouldn't want to know those secrets? Here we go. This is Ad Agency Secret Number 11. Okay. The psychology of typefaces. If you don't know what a typeface is, it's, it's just the fonts, basically, that are used in print. Okay? So the fonts. Typefaces can be playful, authoritative, creative, beautiful, dramatic, fancy, odd, refined, and yes, even downright hideous. And because of this, different typefaces can color our messages with different meanings. 
For example, you wouldn't want to advertise frilly women's lingerie using a headline set in dark, bold, and masculine Cooper Black. On the other hand, you wouldn't advertise your hardcore bodybuilding gym packed with sweaty and grunting steroid-injecting monsters using Palace, a lovely, delicate, and wispy script font. Your ad would look ridiculous. Of course, your product may not suggest a typeface that's so categorically expressive of any particular emotion or visual, but no matter what typeface you choose, just know that it will communicate something. So whatever your typeface that you use, it will communicate something. Now, I'm going to skip through some of this here. Uh, One little bold point they make here is, it is possible to blow away three-quarters of our readers simply by choosing the wrong type. If you rely on words to sell, that should concern you deeply. So in addition to dozens of studies done in the past few decades, several recent tests have been conducted to determine which type styles are easiest to read. I've heard a few people say, whatever you're used to reading is what's easiest for you. He goes on to say hogwash. Of course, some typefaces are easier to read than others. It's ridiculous to say otherwise. Still, you can't get used to scrubbing your dirty clothes on a rock, but that doesn't mean, oh, you can get used to scrubbing your dirty clothes on a rock, but that doesn't mean that pressing start on your washing machine isn't easier. Right? So you can wash your clothes with a rock, Or you can just hit start on the washing machine. Which one's easier? You can do this yourself and have crappy results. Or you can hire a professional. Which one's easier? I just want to point out something. These are experts who study typefaces, the fonts. There's people out there that study the type of font that you use and how it impacts your customers. But you, the carpenter, the landscaper, you think you know what's going to be best for your business and your customers. There's people that spend their entire lives dedicated to typefaces. You have never studied one second of it, think you know what's best. You see what I'm talking about here? Do you see the difference? Let me skip forward to this right here. This is the really important part, the testing. So the difference between a serif and a sans serif typeface, your eyes certain do you know the difference between a serif and a sans serif typeface? I don't even know half of these. Like I know what a script is. I don't really know what a sans or sans serif is. Maybe some of you do. You took some marketing classes in school. I don't know. But I, I didn't know what that was. But a serif typeface is one that has little feet and embellishments on the tips and base of each letter, such as this font. Oh, the font of the page that we're reading. Duh. Now I got it. Sans, the French word for without, sans serif faces, such as this font, have no serifs. He's, they're changing the type in the, in the, you can't see it, but it's in the book. The serifs make each letter more distinct and recognizable. Multiple researchers confirm that serif fonts make words easier to read. Serif fonts make words easier to read. There were two studies, Worden in 1991, Hartley in 1994. Examples of serif fonts are Times New Roman, which is like the most common. Roman, 
Palatino, Schoolbook, Georgia, Courier, Shelleton, Shelletham. I don't even know how to say that. Bookman and Garamond. In 1926, the British Medical Council reported that sans serif type causes irradiation. It causes irradiation. An optical anomaly in which the space between lines in lines intruded into letters, creating a type of light vibration that made reading more difficult and uncomfortable. So literally the type of font that you use can make your customers make it more difficult for them to read and make them feel uncomfortable reading it. Now, some of you hearing this are like, I never even knew that. I never realized that text could actually have that impact on me. But I guarantee you, you've read something at some point that was in some weird font and you just like gave up because it was so hard to read, right? And obviously there's levels to this game. Bear with me. It gets better. So in a study of comprehension, Wielden, 1986, noted that only 12% of participants effectively comprehended a passage set in sans-serif type versus 67% of readers given a version set in serif typeface. Those given the sans-serif version said they had a tough time reading the tests and had to continually go back or backtrack to regain comprehension. In a substantial test of several hundred thousand readers, Wilden set one ad in three different faces. This is where it gets good. One in Garamond, one in Times Roman, and one in Helvetica. Helvetica, however you say that. Here's what he found. He took one ad, ran it in three different typefaces. The Garmon was read and comprehended by 670,000 people, which is 66% of the test subjects. Times Roman was comprehended by 320,000, less than half of Garmon. And Helvetica was comprehended by only 120,000 people, 12.5% of the subjects. So what's the bottom line here? Serif fonts, at least on paper, are simply easier to read. The findings are the same for virtually every researcher who's ever conducted the test. No wonder most newspaper and magazine publishers set their body copy in serif typeface. Let that marinate for a second. People spend their life researching what type of typeface you should be using but you think you know what's best because you have access to tools like Canva, which gives you all different kinds of things. Your perception of how good you are at this is grossly overrated. You're not an expert. You're not an expert at typefaces unless you like were in the high school newspaper publishing or whatever, and you actually have experience with that. But for whatever reason, you think you're going to know what's best. I know there was a lot there to read. I, I wanted to point this out because it's, it's just mind-blowing to me that every single aspect of your business, there's people out there that dedicate their entire life to being the best at that one little thing, but yet you think you know what's best for your business. Start hiring professional people to do the things that you don't know how to do. 
so you can save some money. Okay? Stop doing that. The next thing I want to talk about is the services that you think are important. I was going to do a whole podcast on like starting a business from scratch and how I would formulate that, but I've already done, I've already kind of done some podcasts on that. But people who are serial entrepreneurs, okay, I'm talking about people who start businesses, grow them up, and then sell them off for millions of dollars. Start another business, grow it up, sell it off. Think Elon Musk, right? Most a lot of people don't know Elon was the founder of PayPal. It's where he got most of his money from. So he started PayPal, which is the financial, you know, payment processing company. He sold that off. He started Tesla. He started SpaceX. You know, all these other ones, Starlink, the Boring Company, like all these different companies that he's part of, right? Serial entrepreneurs don't look at a service and say, I really, really want to do that because it's what I love doing. Now, there's all kinds of talk out there about find what you're passionate about, find what you love, and you'll never get paid. You know, you'll never work a day in your life, blah, 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 blah. There is some truth in that. I'm not saying that you have to like absolutely, you know, you can't have, you have to like something, right? Like it, it has to be a little bit of like, but from a, from a business perspective, you find out where the voids are in your marketplace and then you provide the solutions to those voids regardless of whether or not you like it, regardless of whether or not you think it's a good service to have, regardless of whether it's something you want to do or don't like to do. You know, it, it just doesn't matter. Now, if, you wanna, if you're an electrician, you're going to do electrical, that's fine. Be an electrician. But don't say, oh, I want to do new construction because I just don't like working with people. I don't like going into people's homes and working with them. So I'm only going to do new construction. Well, that may work for you during a housing boom. But then all of a sudden, when the housing stops, what are you going to do? Oh, Brad, I don't have any work. Here, hold on. Brad, I don't have any work. I've, I've been doing new construction for 10 years. And then the market just stopped. So now what should I do? I need help. Can you help me? That's, that's, those are the messages I get from you guys. Calls and messages, texts, all that stuff. Emails. What should I do? Well, what you should have done is look for the, where the, the, the need was in your marketplace. That's what you should have done. It's not based on what you like or what you think you should do. It's based on real data, based on you going out and doing surveys with your marketplace. Blows my mind. Blows my mind. Some of you are like, you know what? I'm an electrician and I'm going to start offering solar. I'm going to start offering solar, you know, solar panels because that's hot right now. Everybody's getting into solar, you know, and that's what's going to work. And it's like, okay. How many people in your area want solar power? I don't know. I mean, everybody needs solar. Do they? Do they need solar? Well, yeah, I mean, sure. Everybody needs solar. Okay. Well, I mean, if you're in like Antarctica where it's only light, you know, a few hours a day, do you think they need solar? Well, no, I mean, they don't need solar. They don't have sun. Okay. So not everybody needs solar then, do they? Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, it's just a good opportunity. Well, the point is you haven't done any research. 
You just woke up one day and felt like that was a good idea to do that. I'm going to offer this service. And so what do you do? You go out and you get, you find a solar manufacturer, you go to their plant, you get certified, you spend all, you know, send your guys there to become certified solar installers. You do all this stuff and then you launch your product and nobody buys it. Why? Because nobody in your area wants it. Nobody in your area sees the value of it. Nothing. This isn't, if you build it, they will come. You know, Field of Dreams ruined this for a lot of people, a lot of business owners. If you build it, doesn't mean they're going to come. I spent the last two years doing this in my coaching business, two and a half years, is, is figuring this out. You don't build a product and then hope the people want it. You ask the people what they want training in, where they need help. And when they tell you what they need help with, then you create the program around that. I don't just go and record a bunch of videos and trainings and all this stuff in my program based on things that I think that people want to have information to. I actually get feedback from them. I ask them. I take polls. I send surveys. I see comments in groups. I pay attention, put my ear to the track, you know, and you can hear the train coming. I see where the need is and then create the product or service for that need. It doesn't matter if I like it or not. It doesn't matter at all. Case in point, if you're listening to this last Friday, this podcast drops on Monday. Last Friday, I have just launched a new coaching program. It's a low-cost monthly coaching program that you have access to me on a weekly group coaching call. You log into this call each week. There's going to be lots of other contractors on there. But it's a low-cost opportunity for you to get real-time coaching in your business, right? It's not a, I'm going to solve all of your problems solution, you know, type of coaching. It's you're going to get on the call. You're going to ask one question that's pressing right now in your business. I'm going to give you feedback so you can go and take action on that and hopefully move the needle forward. And the next week, you can do the same thing. Each week, you have an opportunity to get on the coaching call, ask me a question, get the benefit of hearing everyone else on the call because they may ask questions you've never even thought of. And it's going to be an entry-level, low-cost option because a lot of you guys simply can't afford to pay the thousands of dollars it costs to join the Profit Club. And I get it. I don't want to do that. Just, I'm just being honest with you guys here. I don't want to offer that coaching. Like me personally, I don't want to offer it. You know why? Because it's one more hour and a half, two hours each week that I now have to dedicate towards this. Two, I know from personal experience that yes, it will help a lot of people make progress in their business. But I also know from experience that it's not enough. It's, it's not really what you need. But what does the marketplace want? The marketplace wants a low-cost alternative to get them over the hump so they can start being more profitable, so they can make some money, so they can actually invest in the full-blown coaching, right? I listened to the marketplace. I've created the program, the product, and now it's available. So if you're listening to this today, it just launched three days ago. It's called the Profit Accelerator. And I'll put a link in the show notes that you can go check it out. But it is limited. I have a limited number of seats. 
right now I'm going to limit it to 50 people. I may drop that. Here's the thing. It's an experiment too. Part of whenever you're doing stuff, you experiment. So I'm just experimenting. I may have 40 people show up, sign up, and then a month later, after getting feedback, say, you know what? This doesn't work and shut it down. It's possible. I don't know. I may do that and people say, hey, I need more of this. What's the next step up? I may create another offering based off the feedback that I get. But the thing is, is that I'm not, my perception is that if I build this, they will come. The reality is people want this, so I'm building it for them. Not based on what I want to do, not based on what I think is going to be helpful, but based on demand and feedback that I got. So your perception is if I build this new service, if I offer this new service, if I do this in my business, it's going to result in X you know, growth. No. Case in point, when I had my business and we did handyman stuff as well as remodeling, I thought, hey, you know what? I'm going to offer a monthly maintenance plan. You pay so much money a month. You get so many hours. It's at a discounted rate. We do these things every, you know, every quarter yearly. We do these things for you. Blah, 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 blah. Like insurance, kind of. You pay 200 bucks a month. You pay 100 bucks a month, whatever it is. I went in. I created all the paperwork, created all of the flyers and named it and blah, 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 blah. Spent all this time putting it together. I started pitching it to my customers. Nobody was interested. They just weren't. Now, I'm not saying it won't work, period. I'm just telling you that my customer base, it did not work. I tried to build it because I thought it was a good idea. My perception was this is going to generate monthly recurring revenue. The reality of it was nobody wanted it. I spent a bunch of time and energy trying to create it. So in your business, I want you to start thinking about how can you survey your clients? Okay, this is how you get from your perception is not reality to the reality is now your perception. Let's flip it. This is how you flip this, this idea, right? You start surveying your clients. You start surveying your employees. There is a, it's a, it's a, it's a survey system called the Net Promoter Score. It was created, I don't know, several years ago. But the Net Promoter Score, they call it NPS for short. It basically, it measures the loyalty of a company's customer base with a score from negative 100 to plus 100. So basically, that's where you see these questions when you go to a restaurant or something, they have you fill out a form, a survey, and it says, how likely are you to recommend this company to a friend or colleague? See, that's a very purpose-built question based on the psychology of these tests that have been done. And the reason why they ask that question, because you may ask, hey, were you happy? Are you happy with the service that we provided? And they may say, yeah, we're very happy. But if you ask them, how likely were you to you know, recommend us to a friend? They may give you a five or six out of 10. And you might be saying, well, I don't understand. They said they were very happy. Yeah, they may be happy with what, they, what you gave them. But based on any number of factors, maybe that particular person cared a whole lot about you showing up every day on time and you didn't show up every day on time. So to them, you didn't provide the greatest experience, but they're happy with the product that you delivered. 
right? So if you just simply say, are you happy with what we did? And they say, yes, that's true. If they say, would you recommend us to anyone else? And they say, no, or here's a five or a six, that's also true. So that's why you have to survey and ask the right questions. So if you want to know more about Net Promoter Score, just go online. Just, you just go on Google and search, type in Net Promoter Score. There's lots of different, there's like surveys and templates and companies that are free, some that are paid. You can do all this. But you should always be surveying your clients to some extent and try to use the Net Promoter Score as much as possible. At least that one question. At the very least, ask that question, how likely are you to recommend this company to a friend or colleague? It's going to give you tons of feedback. That's just about you know, what you're currently offering. But you can also survey your clients. You can survey the marketplace. You can easily create a poll on Facebook if you have a, a substantial amount of following. Let's say you have a Facebook page for your business and you have 5,000 people following you create a poll on your Facebook page and say, hey, what are the, what's the most, you know, if we were to offer a new service, which one of these four things would you want to see us, you know, provide? And then you can list off four things. And then whatever gets the highest vote, you know that that's where the most demand is versus you just thinking, you know, it'd be a really good idea. It'd be a really good idea if we promoted a monthly maintenance package. And nobody wants it. That's how the power of surveying your, your, client, your client base and your marketplace is going to provide real-time feedback instead of you just trying to use your own gut feeling, your own perception of what you think is important, and then trying to put it into the marketplace and then it fails and you wonder why. And your response is, man, customers are cheap. Nobody wants to pay for quality. Nobody cares about their house. Nobody wants this. Nobody does that. It's like, no, nobody asked for it. Nobody asked for your service you just created. So you should always get the demand first and then provide the solution second. Okay? I know we went a little long on this. We went a little deep. We went sideways. We circled back around. We've been all over the place, to be honest with you. But I hope this helps you to understand that your perception is not the reality that your customers receive. So let's recap real quick. Start recording all your sales calls. Listen to them. When you're naming things, like using your business name or your logo or any, anything, if you put out a, like a, a lead magnet, like if you create a PDF on like the top, you know, the top five things that you need to put in your bathroom remodel and you're going to give that away and you create a PDF downloadable worksheet and you use some cute font people aren't going to read it. So make sure you use the most common font, the serif font. So it's easy to read, right? Now that, we, now that we know that. So when anytime you name your business, don't be cute. Use smart naming. Put it out to your family and friends. I didn't mention this earlier, but the one client who wants to rename his business, he posted it in the Facebook group, the, the Profit Club Facebook group. Says, hey, here's some names I'm thinking of. What do you guys think? We all give him feedback. He can push that down. He can narrow it down to two or three names. He can then push that out to all his customers. If he's got a hundred customers or whatever, he can push that out to the customers and get feedback. It's fun to actually include your customers in development of your business. Some of you want to keep that secret. But truthfully, a lot of your customers want to be included in that. They feel 
more included in your business and they become even more loyal customers. So don't hide that stuff. Include your customer base in that. And then lastly, use surveys. Use the net promoter score process. You know, survey your customers. Find out what's important to them. Ask that question. How likely are you to recommend this company to a friend or colleague? And then also make sure you survey. If you're going to offer anything new to the marketplace, make sure you do your research and survey first. Don't just go out there and blindly think if you build it, they're going to come. That's a bunch of BS. All right, guys, I appreciate you hanging out with me. I know it may have been tough. Trying to read out of a book sometimes can be hard over a podcast, especially when you're not very educated like myself. But I appreciate you hanging out with me, hanging through that. And remember, you know where to find me on the social media platforms, Hammer Grind Podcast, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Check out the free Facebook group. I'm going to be making the announcement. I already made the announcement. You're, if you're hearing this, I already made the announcement. So get in there. Don't wait because once I get to 50 in the Profit Accelerator, I'm shutting it off. I'm turning it off. And I may even decide to turn it off after, before that. If I get 25 or 30, I may shut it off before that. You just never know. So don't wait. We'll check that out. And remember until next time, guys, remember always, profit is not a dirty word. <laughs>